What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, joined, as I always am, by the steadfast Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And joining us, once again, is none other than His Excellence, Jared Livingston. What's up, Jared? I was really hoping for Standard Bearer Jared, but I'll accept oh, this. Oh, that's a good one. That's a really good one. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm going to log that away, but I can't be for a Glenn Cookbook because it's too predictable now. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, I really do wish I had thought of that previously. Oh, well. That would have been good. Yep, Drew, Jared, and I are going to be wrapping up She is the Darkness, the second of the books of Glittering Stone by Glenn Cook. And I'm pretty anticipatory of our weekly recap this time because I, myself, managed to finish this second half of the audiobook last Tuesday. So a refresher would be much appreciated. Drew, would you kindly outline what we read for this week? Yeah. So where we left off last week, uh, the Black Company had made its way south, defeated Long Shadow and Mogaba at the pass of Chirondeprash, and even proceeded further into the Shadowlands to besiege Overlook itself. And uh, things where we left off had just started really getting good. Fairly quickly in this week's portion, Long Shadow is kind of taken out of the game. Thanks to some treachery on the part of the Howler and Narayan Singh and the ever uh, chaotic Soul Catcher, Long Shadow is captured by the Black Company as well as Narayan and uh, the Howler. But Soul Catcher makes off with the Daughter of Night. So Lady and Croker don't quite get their hands on their daughter. Meanwhile, Sleepy has gone north to deliver a message to Sara, uh, as Mergen has, you know, discovered that she's alive. Sleepy delivers the message, but on the way south is ambushed and captured by Soulcatcher. Uh, Soulcatcher... Mm, let, let's just say Soulcatcher puts a glamour on herself and disguises herself as Sleepy, and it's a bit of a double-layered disguise because they're like, oh, look, Sleepy's actually a chick. And then they discover, oh, no, Sleepy's actually Soulcatcher. And then they find out, no, wait, Sleepy really was actually a chick. Yeah, Soulcatcher's <laughs> just really cool. Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but, but meanwhile, the company, ultimately, after settling in for a long summer and harvesting some crops... And being betrayed by the Radisha and the Prabhendra Dra and the Taglians, solidify their location outside of Overlook and head on down the road to Katovar. They head up onto the plain where there are some very weird and, and interesting phenomena occurring, including many earthquakes, and they reach the fortress at the center of the plain. The fortress with no name, where they discover Shivetya, the demon golem, pinned to a throne and about to fall into a uh, an abyss created by the earthquakes. The earthquakes, in fact, caused by Soulcatcher, as she is setting a trap for the company. And the book ends with all of the principal parties of the Black Company, except for... Goblin and One-Eye and Sleepy, imprisoned beneath the plain in a cavern in cocoons spun of ice where madmen sit beside the way. A scene we have 
seen many, many times before. Mm-hmm. How? Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I like that. How did Mergen not recognize anyone throughout all these times? The he did, though. He did. What do you mean he, he did? Specifically, he specifically calls out in many of these dreams and visions that he recognizes the faces <laughs> of some of these madmen. So he doesn't think to himself like, "Hey, there's Croker." Yeah, but but he doesn't he doesn't understand what he's seeing. It's not until the very end of the book <laughs> that he realizes. I uh, uh, he even uh, what did what did he say? Um. Uh, I got. I gotta find it. I gotta find it. Um, I should have seen it coming. I should have known. I had been only loosely anchored in time for years, and so many of the faces had seemed to be those of men I knew. Hmm. Morgan, <laughs> I don't know, man. Boom. Okay. I don't know. So jumping into style. I can't, I see, I have two, I only have two points. One is going to be very, very quick and stupid. The other one is going to be perhaps a lengthier discussion, especially once I get both of your inputs. I'll go with the stupid, mm-hmm. dumb little one first. That'll be, you know, just a few seconds. Did anyone else catch the use of inchoate? Uh, the word inchoate? Yeah. Uh-huh. Having Renaud, like just recently heard the secondhand story, uh, I should say heard secondhand the oh, story about Brandon from Brandon himself. You know, on his particular experience with employing that yeah. word, I had to draw the, a point. Sorry, what? The, mention it. What's up? What the hell? Uh, yeah, there's a, a point in one of, uh, I think, it, uh, unless I'm misremembering, it's in one of Mergen's dreams where he's in the cavern, the ice caverns, and there is an inchoate anger. Right. It's like in, chasing him or something like that. It's in chapter 54. I wrote down the chapter, chapter 54. number itself. Uh, let me... Let me look it up here. Yeah. Now that's that's the small stupid point that I promised. But I yep. Just... <laughs> yep. As I did so, I became aware of an inchoate anger growing behind me, as yep. of something hunting that was frustrated. I did so my to best make... to speed up. Yeah. Just to make sure I had the definition here and ready. It means just begun and not so fully formed or developed. Rudimentary. So, gave me a yep. chuckle. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. for the uninformed of us, how does this relate to Brandon Sanderson? Oh, there's a, a funny anecdote where uh, in, in an early draft of Elantris, Brandon used the word inchoate, and his author told him to get rid and of his it. his editor. Because, <laughs> quote, oh yeah, his editor. Did I say the, his author? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yikes. Yikes. Um... Yeah, yeah, Brandon Sanderson actually doesn't write his own books. I don't know if you know. <laughs> the truth uh, is revealed. Brandon Sanderson, the ghost. That's just a pen name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's the Sanderbots that actually write his books. Everybody no, um, but yeah, his editor told him, uh, you can't just turn into Gene Wolfe for a sentence. <laughs> and so he had to strike that word from the draft of Elantris. Mm. But, uh, but I, I do have one main stylistic point to discuss with this book and or or this part of the book and that is the pace 
The pace in the first half, in, in our first episode of She is the Darkness, was absolutely breakneck. And the pace in this half is much, much slower. This totally slogged for that? me. Yeah. Did it? Like, yeah. I, I don't know if slogged is the right word, because that implies that I didn't enjoy the book. But it it. I, f- I felt it could have been written shorter, I guess. I don't know how to put it. Really? I'm so no, I, I agree. I'm with Jared. Wow. There's uh, Part of it is that the big battle that I was expecting at the end happens like halfway through. Yeah, okay. There is that. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I was, uh, I was explaining last episode how I had a lot more momentum going through the first yes. half. Like... I, yeah, I, like, for example, Bleak Seasons took me probably eight sessions of listening to get through, whereas this one took me, like, literally three, two, maybe, two and a half. Depends if you count, like, you know, retreading, uh, because I was falling asleep <laughs> at one point, you know, going to bed. But I had a lot of sure. momentum going into the second half, and so I also finished this second half in, like, I think I was, like, Tuesday at, like, 3 p.m., and I still had all of Wednesday, all of Thursday, all of Friday to go through. And I, you know, haven't listened for the past three days, but I finished it pretty quickly. And it, to me, it was the wow. whole second half was like eight hours of listening. So, yeah, I, um, uh, I guess to not bury the lead here, this is probably my second least favorite book in the series. Really? Um, yeah. <laughs> wow. Wait. Wait, is uh, your least wow, favorite yet to come? Uh, no, my least favorite is The Black Company, the first book. Oh. Uh, okay. Yeah. That's so interesting. Uh, no, uh, the last two books, uh, the last book is my favorite, and uh, Water Sleeps is, is probably somewhere in the middle. I, I enjoy it a lot, but it's it's not a favorite. It's not Shadows Linger or, you know, Dreams of Steel or one of those. Um, but, but in large part, my criticism of this book comes in the second half here where the narrative momentum slows down so much. Uh, it, it always baffles me when I reread this book, how early they get to overlook and set up the siege and how early they defeat long shadow. And then there's like 250 more pages of them just chilling. Well, you no, know, I mean, uh, like the, chasing, they, chasing they soul catcher around and like, that's pretty big, yeah, but yes, but that's only in the last like 50 pages. Yeah. Mergen like, doing his 50? scouting mission up the hill with Ty Day is only like 45 or 50 pages before the end of the book. It's no way. The first one where he goes yeah. into Ty Day and they're like in between. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. God, that must've been a weird uh, day for me. I just like blasted through the whole second half so so in my you know collected version the book ends on page 672 and uh he goes through the gate on page 619 so oh 53 God. pages before the end of the book. Wow. It's What the hell did they spend 200 pages doing before that? I'm trying to... Right? <laughs> there was the earthquake, it's right? It's so weird. 
The one, the, like, like the big one that like collapsed it, all the. Yeah, it's so weird because when you're reading it, it doesn't feel like 250 pages. Hmm. But then when you finish it, and you're like, wait a second, nothing happened until the last See, like 50. Pages I guess that's there. where I'm at right like, now because I just it felt like to me it flew by, and now that you guys are mentioning, it, it's kind of blowing my mind that for like 40 yeah. percent of the book apparently was just in a standstill. I don't just remember oh. it that way. Well, it's so a weird lot of me it this... is like Mergen going over to the Shadowgate and setting up camp there, and where they're right. trying to like stem the tide of shadows leaking through. Um, it it's like you know, Cleet uh, um, and Loftus and Longinus testing their new bamboo like heavy artillery. Great scene, by the way. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. And then you know, and then uh, arguments over Soulcatcher like, and, and then the whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah capturing mean, the I, howler I just... and discovering one eye's liquor and <laughs> yeah i didn't feel like it, it felt it went so slow which is really weird for me because i was complaining just... for like f six books previously that i felt like it was going slow and you guys were like oh so much is happening so quickly but for this book i was just i blasted through it i had momentum and now you guys are saying oh but it slowed down so much in the second half I didn't even notice. Yeah. It's just kind of it, surreal. It slowed down a lot compared to the first half. I mean, you you think about what yeah, happened. The first half in, was pretty dope. Like that that was breakneck. Like we go from Taglios through the Battle of Chirondaprash all the way through the Shadowlands into the Siege of Overlook and into the first like battles in Overlook just in the first <laughs> half of the book. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's my like main writing style point. I have I have one more point that I'll bring up, but I want to let you uh, get into your your second one. Well, my second and, and last for the style points are about these chapter endings in particular. And I know this is probably like a weird place to bring it up. You know, hey, what's up, hmm. everybody? How's it going? Just you know, couple, only a dozen episodes into our our discussions on Glenn Cook, and now I'm just choosing to bring this up here. But these chapters just kind of. At times, at times, not all the time, but they just end, like, abruptly. And I'd assume having, you probably having read through an audiobook is in large part why I f it felt so stark to me. But having gone back and read a few of them, I can still say that I feel the same way about a few in particular. And I'll, I'll use chapter 91 as an example. This is the end of that chapter. The big cat howled and tried to push her claws between the cruel spears confining her. I think maybe she could use a few drinks, I told Tyde. Perhaps she is coming into her season. I thought the scene had ended on Morgan's line when I was listening <laughs> to it, but then Ty Day added his own little joke there. And then I felt like it was going to continue. Like, I don't know. It felt like hearing a great singer finish on a really high note, then take another inhalation, and then walk off. A lot of Cook's chapters <laughs> make me feel that way when they end. Though I don't think I've drawn a specific point to talk about it before this. But... I don't know. Some of these uh, I think little... this is specifically a Mergen thing. Okay, and that I'm makes glad sense. You brought that up. I um, can see that. There is a tendency to want to end chapters on cliffhangers, but not quite being able to commit to the cliffhanger. Sure, <laughs> sure. Like, and then... like you'll you'll get these great lines of dialogue or or great bits of narration, and then another paragraph or two after. Exactly, exactly. Like, and th there, there are amazing chapter endings, like chapter 107. Stop right there, Croker whispered. I stopped. His tone was urgent. What? 
look down. I looked. Before us lay the desiccated remains of a crow. Just the way it lay struck terror right down to the bones of my toes. A shadow got it. We're not safe here. We still have the standard. He didn't sound completely confident, though. I used my toe to flip the dead bird into the crack in the floor, which was just a few feet away. The effort was pointless. Some of the men had seen the dead bird. They understood its significance. I understood that it meant a lot more than just that shadows roamed this part of the fortress. It meant that Soulcatcher knew the place well. It meant... Mad laughter came from back where we'd entered. Soulcatcher's laughter. Lady Spun, sorceries forming around her already. Boom! That is an incredible chapter ending. Granted, we're closer to the end of the book at this point, so it's kind of yeah, yeah. par for the course. <laughs> but I was like, why? When you compare the two, they don't all have to be like that. But when you compare the two, there is such a huge difference. There is. There is. Um, and and like I said, I think this is a a, a tick of Mergens, uh, and and it ties back to my last point and that is this scene where Mergen chats with Croker and Croker straight up tells him you know I have I'm yeah not a big fan of what you've been writing <laughs> what an ass yeah and and this is an important character scene for both Croker and Mergen but it's also very meta I mean, this is Cook getting to comment on himself, right? Oh, I didn't consider And he that. has Croker say, What I don't like about your annals is that they're more about you than they are about the company. I mean, you focus everything on yourself, except for a few chapters you adapted from ladies' dispatches or Bucket or One Eye or somebody. You never report anything that doesn't involve you, or that you didn't see yourself. You're too self-absorbed. Why should we give a rat's ass about your recurring nightmares? And, except for Dejigore, your sense of place is usually pretty weak. If I weren't here myself, I'd have a lot of trouble picturing this whole end of the world. <laughs> Do we think that perhaps this is a little bit of Glenn Cook acknowledging some of the complaints he might have had? Absolutely. Yes. I, I mean, as I, I said, I think this is Cook getting extremely meta. I hadn't considered <laughs> it that way, but wow, that's yeah. like way that's way more meta than I was looking at it. Although I, I can appreciate it now that you have. And it goes on, and it goes on, and this is what Jared and I were just talking about earlier. Croker says you could work on writing a little more sparely too. You tend to go on a lot longer than you need to, at times. <laughs> sometimes with Mergen, we have him cruising through, right? And then sometimes, like in the second half of this book, the part that this quote is in, Mergen is spending just as much time talking about, like, chilling over by the Shadow Gate and drinking One-Eye's terrible liquor as he did describing the entire battle at Chirondoprash. <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Hey, maybe maybe it's the guy very is self-aware. Like, maybe the guy thinks he knows he's about he's about to uh, potentially be marching to his death, so he's just enjoying what he can. Oh yeah, I I think this is doing double work as a as a passage. It's providing us 
important character information. It's developing the characters through showing rather than telling. And it's giving Glenn Cook an opportunity to be like, look, I know what I'm doing. I'm aware of how I write, you know? <laughs> yeah, I feel a little better about it now that you've, you've uh, phrased it that way. Huh. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, it's just another one of those ways in which Glenn Cook blows my mind as a prose stylist because it's things like this that make his decisions in style feel deliberate and self-aware. Like, he knows that he's writing in a way that is not conventional, that is not normal for other epic fantasy books. And he's like, you know what, I, I know it, not the time. but this is what I want to do. Mm. <laughs> so, okay. fair point. I have a, a bit of an opinion, and I want to see if you guys agree or not, related Sweet. to the All style. Right, do you think, I guess I should say, I think that... All of the ghost walking that Mergen does has kind of jumped the shark at this point and become something that Cook relies on too much to let us know what's happening in other places. Um, so before we continue, jumped the shark. What does that mean? I haven't heard that before. Is that an American specific phrase, perhaps? Oh, I didn't know it was specific to America. It's like I, it might you, not be. I could just be a complete dumbass. <laughs> I'm just, I haven't heard that before. What, what does that mean? Like, it's when you you take, um, you know, a trope or, or a, a stylistic thing okay. and you push it so far that it becomes absurd. Interesting. Okay. I don't know I, the, I, like, etymological origins of it, but... Hmm. Um, it's like when when some something has become so ridiculous that it's like this is breaking my uh you know my immersion or or this this is just dumb now or something like that. Like it's just I think it becomes relied on too much. And for me that's part of what makes some of the second half slower. Huh. I didn't have that same issue cuz I I remember having a, a real problem with the time skipping nature. Of, of of Smoke's abilities in Bleak Seasons, right? It was Bleak Seasons, mm -hmm. it was. Um, so the fact that this one was spatially oriented rather than uh, temporally oriented, <clears throat> I found it easier to follow, and so I was just appreciating it the whole time, thinking, thank God we're not going back in time. Oh, so, Jared, if I'm understanding you right, you're talking about this from, like, a narrative perspective where you think this is a crutch that he has created for himself? Yes, yes. Yeah, I didn't mind it. Though. Uh, I, I mean, I'll be paying attention going forward. Uh, I think it's a valid point, uh, and it's a valid criticism. I also think that it's not as big of a deal, uh, partially because of certain things that, you know, we'll see, you know, certain Rafo things. Um, <laughs> of course, of course. Uh, but I mean, we've already seen by the end of this book now, you know, I talked about the the falling back in time and the weird uh, structure of Bleak Seasons. And I said, I was like, you know, like, this was done for a reason to set up things in the future. And we saw in this book, Mergen's out-of-body experiences in Bleak Seasons built a foundation to allow him to use smoke in this way and eventually not have to use smoke in this way. You know, he, he 
he at least set up um, an in-universe reason for why things are this way. And this is something I'll compare to, like, Taviran in The Wheel of Time, for instance. Yeah, it's totally a narrative crutch. But ah. it's an established, in-world, consistent thing. Mm-hmm. So I don't have a problem with it in the narrative. Hmm. I will admit, now that you bring it up, especially you being Jared, now that you bring it up, there were a few moments I specifically recall being suddenly and unexpectedly kind of yanked back out into a, another bird's eye view, for lack of a better term, that I wasn't... Uh, I, I didn't Literal. feel like I needed. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, and yeah. so, there, I mean, there were a few that I felt like, okay, this is... Uh, oh, another one of these was, I suppose, the, the thought that I had as they approached. So I, I wasn't, like, really, really into all of them. But every time I had that thought... I remembered bleak seasons and my utter confusion and my frustration. And so I went, this is way better. I still much prefer this. I guess maybe it was the context that still made me uh, appreciate it in a different way. But maybe going forward, especially now that you've brought that up, I'll be paying attention to that. And I'll probably agree because I'm not one to typically like this sort of crutch. Yeah, I guess I'll have to see what the Raffo situation is. Mm, Cool. Yeah, there there are... I think there's a, a pretty satisfying narrative result from all of this. Yeah. But... I'd agree. But, Jared, I, I do think you have a valid criticism there. It is yeah. it is a reality of what these books are, that mm-hmm. the use of smoke and ghost walking is like a, essentially a narrative crutch to make She is the Darkness work as a book. For sure. Yeah. I'm done with my narrative. Uh, I should say my style points. I'm ready for characters. Drew, did you say you had one more style point? No, no. Um, I'm good. Sweet. Jared, anything else? Shall we go on to characters? Yeah. Let's uh, let's start with Mergen. Yeah. I mean, we're still on Mergen, right? Hmm. I really... Uh, <laughs> I only have one, one point for Mergen. Perhaps two. Uh, I'll start with my first here, though. Get your ass up, I told Sleepy. We're going over to my house. We're going to figure out what you did to my horse. Sleepy didn't respond. Ty Day and I ended up lugging him across a litter. Or I should say, across on a litter, along with the treasure's weed. What the f*** was that word? I wrote down achumed? That's not even a word. I don't know. Oh, exhumed. <laughs> it would have been exhumed. That, that's what the word would have been. <laughs> I like Sleepy a whole lot less before we got to the other side. As we passed the prison kennel, the shapeshifter began to rumble and growl. She roared a leopard-like challenge as we drew abreast. Ah, go f*** yourself, I said. <laughs> Sleepy was getting heavy already. I don't know what it was, but in that moment, I was like, that's right, Mergen is still my favorite of the narrators so far. It's kind of salty. I, you could just, I just, I don't know why I like that so much. There's something about that organic, weary, just give me a break attitude with which Mergen managed to deliver that one. Or maybe it was in huge part thanks to the audiobook narrator Jonathan Davis. But man I really <laughs> felt the end of Mergen's patience with that line. And really with a lot of what's going on in this section of the book. I was just <laughs> I felt all of it for him. Yeah. I feel like uh, while Mergen is overall not as funny as Croker, in the second half of She Used the Darkness specifically, Mergen's cynicism and sarcasm is on full display, <laughs> usually with, like, specific, you know, in Mergen's style, things important and close to him. 
Like Mother Goda? You know, descriptions of <laughs> Mother Goda. Mother yeah, Goda. exactly. Like, yes. I had this one highlighted uh, right at the very end when he goes, uh, you know, dreaming out and he finds, you know, Goblin and One-Eye while he's, like, still asleep and the rest of the company's moving onward to the fortress. He says, One-Eye was stirring. So was Goda. Another terrible breakfast was about to be committed. <laughs> yeah, committed. The use of the word like, committed. So perfect. That that one word choice turns making breakfast into a crime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Morgan's just he's 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 a gem in the I mean he's I've honestly always liked Morgan in some way, especially in this book, but oh god, I just I Do had you... so many reasons or I should say I was reminded so many times why I like him. Yeah, and, and like uh, when when Soulcatcher um, uh, sabotages the factory near the end, and everybody's like going, you know, climbing out of their bunkers, and they're seeing this whole conflagration over there, and, and Mergen keeps saying, "I'm not going over there. I'm not going over there." <laughs> it's like three and, times. And then at the end of the chapter, again, I observed, "I'm not going over there." Some wise ass remarked. Any of you other guys think Mergen maybe ain't going over there? Yep. <laughs> Shithead. <laughs> I, can I can appreciate that chapter ending. I like those. <laughs> yeah, his sarcasm is on full display in this part of the book. And I think <laughs> part of that is because uh, this is the, the first real chunk of narrative in which Mergen isn't operating... Um, under the specter of his wife's death. He knows Sara is alive now. He remarks to himself a lot during this section about how, like, I can handle this. My wife still loves me. My wife and my son are alive and safe. They're going to be joining me soon. You know, like, I can deal with this here right now because I have hope for the future. Yeah. And, of course, I mean... At the end of the book, well, wow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but but because he has this hope, he has this lightness on his soul that he for sure didn't have in bleak seasons. Uh, <laughs> he's able to let his sense of humor out in ways that he couldn't before, and it's the same thing with Croker. We see glimmers of Croker's sense of humor, but his sense of humor freaking died. When Narayan Singh stole his daughter. Oh, wow. Imagine that. Yeah, you're, you're totally right. You're absolutely <laughs> I right. I mean, do you blame him? <laughs> yeah. Mm, mm. He's not, but I can <clears throat> see why. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just an, you know, an important aspect of these characters to keep in mind, you know, how they change from moment to moment throughout the series. Mm. You just reminded me of a prediction that I'm going to have. I totally forgot to write down, so I just did now while you were while you were speaking. I'll bring that up in my miscellaneous. I'm very excited for predictions at the end of this episode. I, I just will... have one prediction, but I also, actually well, I have two if you count. You know, one of your favorite scenes that I'm totally going to predict. But <laughs> I'm done with my points about Morgan for now. I'm ready to go on to either Croker, Lady. What do you guys feel? Unless you have any uh, more about Morgan. No, I'm good on no? Morgan. Yeah. What do you guys want to discuss? Did you get into Croker then? Let's do let's do Croker, sure. Yeah, I mean we did we were just sort of you know discussing Croker around the edges, mm -hmm. and I don't really have much to say about Croker honestly. He's still just sort of trusty old Croker who's you know just going down a continuously darker path. 
He's, he's at, at least having more sex these days. <laughs> more? Well, it's, it's hard not to have more. You know? <laughs> I, I do think it's funny how often Mergen, like, remarks <laughs> on, uh, like, Croker and Lady looking tired and irritable mm. in the morning, but also strangely <laughs> chipper. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I caught up on, I caught those. Yeah. <laughs> like, when they're on the plane, he's like, they must have, like, come up with some new kind of sorcery and privacy because they both look so smug. Like, <laughs> <laughs> God, these two are like teenagers. Damn. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, Lady physically is barely out of her teens, so. <laughs> yeah, that's true. She's supposed to be, like, a, a ripe 20, I think. Oh, she's man. She's described as. Oh, man. Croker. I was going to ask you why you specifically had to use the word ripe. Is that exactly how she was <laughs> I think that point? is the quote. I think that okay. is the quote. If that's the quote, then I, I can totally forgive that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she is supposed to be a an extraordinarily attractive college-aged young woman, even though she's 400-plus years old. Mm. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, but no, as far as Croker goes... Uh, I like how we see his, you know, his paranoia and his privacy and his plans not only come to fruition in some ways, but also undermine him in the second half of this book. You know, we, we've had what was essentially a Chekhov's gun where Mergen kept saying, like, look, you know, if you don't tell anybody what's going on, we can't carry out your orders. And he's like, well, if I don't tell anybody what's going on, then nobody can leak it to the enemy, you know, that kind of thing. But in this part of the book, we see major things spiral out of uh, Croker's control because Lady especially is like, well, I don't know what his plan is. He doesn't seem to be doing anything, so I'm just going to go ahead and do my thing. I'm going to go send an army up to... <laughs> You know, attack Soulcatcher. I'm gonna go have uh, the the brothers build heavy artillery bamboo poles to nuke her cave. You know, I'm gonna send troops into Overlook. I'm gonna do this and that and the other Maybe thing. Maybe some of the coolest scenes. Oh, uh, the yeah, great scene, great <laughs> scenes. Uh, <laughs> but but this is you know this is Croker reaping the harvest he sowed where yes, some things turned out very well for him because he kept, you know, his cards so close to the chest that the enemy couldn't figure out what he was doing. Things like trapping soul catcher. Uh, but on the other hand, some of his other plans were upended because he didn't communicate. And, and I like the way cook plays with that uh that sort of character arc where he doesn't make it all good or all bad he he mixes it very nicely hmm. yeah i mean i was i was digging i'm sorry i was about to go on to lady here i just realized we're still on croaker aren't we yeah yeah mm -hmm. sorry sorry I'll, I'll actually put a plug in that while you guys finish what you want to say about croaker jared what, what did you think about croaker in this this half of the book mm. I mean, I'm surprised that some of this hasn't led to more strife between him and Lady. Well, it's, <laughs> it seems that they have um, they have ways to work that out. <laughs> yeah, <I don't> know. <laughs> that they did it before. They have an outlet. Yeah, although who knows? You know. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. 
I don't know. Some of this, this whole time, it's like, if it looks like a trap and it smells like a trap, it's probably a trap. <laughs> and uh, if one eye leaves a sign for you saying, <laughs> saying it's, it's a, a trap. trap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What I channeling his inner Admiral Akbar. Yeah. It makes me, I don't know. It's, it's interesting because while he does some very intelligent things, like the whole blade coup. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, you question some other stuff. Right. Yeah. It, it, it's like Croker is really good at setting down a long con, but he's not great at thinking on his feet and adjusting in the moment. Which is interesting because that's the attribute they're ascribing to Kina through a lot of this book. They're saying, oh, she's been putting down, you know, these layers of webs and deceits and stratagems for decades. But now that things are moving fast, she doesn't seem to be able to catch up. That's literally what's happening with Croker. <laughs> he he made point. a four-year-long strategy, and it worked. And then as soon as things got, you know, unplanned, Croker started unraveling a bit. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair so enough. maybe he's a good match for Kina. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Not saying that Croker's a god or anything, but just on the like strategic, like thematic level, <laughs> he's a good foil. Put it that way, a narrative foil. <laughs> yeah, I'm am ready to discuss Lady. If you guys have nothing else about Croker, oh, I'll just end that, I guess, on saying I can't wait for you guys to see the uh, Dragon Ball Z esque uh, God Croker versus Kina battle at the end of Soldier's Lip. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I really hope you're not being duplicitous right now. And, like that's actually what happens. And you're just playing it off as a joke right now. That w- that would be we'll something that Drew does. Game. So, I, I mean, you're gonna lose your minds when Croker does the Kamehameha wave. Oh my god! Okay, well, putting aside <laughs> techniques learned from Master Roshi, well, um, lady, huh? Who's this guy's lady? Lady, lady. Okay, I have two things. One of which is a question. I'll ask that later. First, though, it's just a point. I, I'm really digging this whole, and I realize she's done this before, but we get to see a lot more of it. This whole take charge and protect everyone's asses lady that we get once they cross the Shadow Gate. There was this particularly brutal moment with, I don't remember who did this. Weezer. Somebody f***ed up. It was a, it was a I don't remember if the soldier was named. Well, sorry, what did you Weezer. say? Uh, was it Weezer? Okay, because there's another point with Weezer that I have going to bring up later in my favorite scenes, but I can't remember if this is the same one. Um... Where does we is Weezer the one that 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 launches the fireball through the protective barrier? Yep. And then she gets all pissed off at him, and then she, she literally drags him over to that that opening, and she's like, "You are going to lay here all night, and if the shadows get through, your dying screams are going to be what warn us." <laughs> that was Weezer yep. too. Yep. Oh damn, we oh Weezer's really on the track record of fucking up, then, isn't he? Let me uh, let me find the. Let me find the oh, I mean, I believe you. I just, I didn't think Weezer had fucked up both, because I have another one later I'm going to get to. Yeah. She took Weezer's ragged leather jacket away from him, <clears throat> cut chunks out of it, wadded them up, and plugged the holes. That's then great. she used some minor spell to cement them there. Even she did not seem sure that her fix was a good answer. She snagged Weezer's shoulder and dragged him to a particular spot facing the damaged barrier. Right here. And don't move. All night. 
If anything gets through, your screams will warn the rest of us. <laughs> That's so cold. It's so badass, but man, Weezer. He's so old, he's already, he's gonna die. Like, why? <laughs> yeah. yeah, dude's dudes had like tuberculosis for six years. Yeah, like, maybe he coughs himself to death in the middle of this night and the shadows get through and he's not alive to scream. <laughs> huh? hey. Lady is harsh. <laughs> she I have is a harsh. question. My, okay. like, the question I was referring to earlier about Lady. It's a quote here. She doesn't have any real powers anymore. It doesn't work that way. Lady was in the stairwell now. She did not seem afraid of a confrontation with her little sister at all. Uh, correct me here. I thought Dorotea was the youngest. Right? Am I completely misremembering? She wait, was the wait, one that wait, went missing what? or whatever in that myth? Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> you mean interesting? I'm at. I was. I was asking. So is she or not? Like, <laughs> why do you? Why do I get the feeling now that you're? Okay, That's a great question. Look at your face right now. <laughs> that is a great question. Wait, can we repeat the line? What's the exact line? Okay, all right. I will repeat it again because I'm so confused now. I'm even more confused <laughs> now. <laughs> she doesn't have. This is when Soulcatcher is like is like mumbling to herself as the as Lady is is assaulting them there in Overlook. She doesn't have any real powers anymore. It doesn't work that way. Lady was in the stairwell now. She did not seem afraid of a confrontation with her little sister at all. Soulcatcher is not her little sister. She is the youngest. Isn't Dorotea? Is the youngest. Uh, what? I specifically remember learning that. Uh, uh -huh. It was it was when the White Rose <laughs> said her name, wasn't it? Yep. And, mm -hmm. Yeah. I totally missed this. I don't know. It just. No, it, I thought Rob I was is right. Be like, um, no, so 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 and so, and I'd be like, no. no okay, Rob yeah, is right. In the genealogies that Tracker was studying in yeah. uh, in the White Rose. Dorotea Senjak is the youngest of the sisters. Okay, so I wasn't misremembering then. I'm just you are not misremembering. Wait, wait, wait. So this is a continuity issue, not a Maybe. plot That's reveal. A... Why did you say me? I'm so fucking confused. Okay, all right. Well, I'm so... this is gonna be a raffle then. Maybe. Oh, Drew. This is okay. I will tell you right now. This is an unresolved question. Wow. There are multiple inconsistencies throughout the books that I believe are deliberate on the part of the author as to who the Sunjack sisters were and how and uh, which order they were in. Okay. There are there are some really weird things and this may just be an artifact of way back in the domination when they were all coming of age and becoming major power players and sorcerers and their obfuscation of their identities. Mm. That they were just screwing with all the records. And that somebody got real lucky guessing Dorotea Senjak, you know, eventually after they exhausted all the other options of the sisters and the genealogies were wrong, but the name was right. It could be that it could be something else. Or it could be that Mergen doesn't know what's up. 
Could be that Mergen doesn't know what's up. Or that... If... I mean, we'd get real crazy (laughs) and say that someone has tampered with... The annals. Jared. (laughs) Also a possibility. Jared, dude. We will will discuss this more before we finish this series. I was not ready to bring up a future discussion point. Yeah, awesome. you just okay. opened up right. a whole <laughs> can of worms. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, wow. <laughs> there, that was an unsuspecting can of worms, but now I'm, I want to dig in. Ew, gross. Anyway, yeah. uh, I'm done with my, my lady points. That was all I wanted to say. I didn't. Yeah, I am not. Uh, <laughs> I'm stunned that you guys didn't bring this up. We have on the page confirmation. Lady is stealing Kina's power. Well, that, I mean, she calls herself a thief. A she parasite. Very, she a created, parasite. when when Kina okay. made a mystical channel connected to Lady with her whole Daughter of the Night thing, Lady turned it around on her. And by the time Kina realized what was happening, she couldn't remove Lady without damaging herself. She's a parasite. She's burrowed in, and she's sucking off Kina's power. Yeah, so, but, and that's uh, how she has magic again. When does Lady realize this? Uh, Lady presumably realized it even before they reached Taglios. She knew that there was some other power trying to manipulate her. And she was like, oh, I can take advantage of this situation. Because she was using the power before they even, you know, got to uh, Gyaxli. So, then, can we assume that she feels a tremendous amount of guilt for what happened with her oh, child? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh oh my gosh! Yeah. Like, I made this decision, and look what happened. And she is trying real hard to deflect all of that guilt onto Narayan Singh. Which, to be fair, is very deserving, but... Oh, yeah, he's a, he's a total piece of shit. Yeah, I mean, he's getting a lot of what, he's, what he deserves, though, in this half of the book, isn't he? Uh, he, he does, although he gets away. Kind of. <laughs> Until he's just he's randomly really escaped. Kind of. he's, he's, he escaped he's and he rescued the Daughter of Night. No, by the end of the book, he escaped the group on sure. the plane, got back out, and rescued the Daughter of Night. At the end of this book, Narayan and the Daughter of Night are reunited and at large. Totally yeah, that's what I mean. Up. I'm just saying that before then, immediately, like for the chapters going up to that, he was really miserable. Oh, yeah, no, he was getting the <laughs> tortured out of him. Yeah, oh, that's what, I'm, that's, that's what I was saying. Sorry, he yeah. did get some of what he was des- I know yes. he's at large. <laughs> He wasn't yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. at the spa for this half of the book. No, he was not. He was in the uh, in the pig pen with mm. with the other villains of the piece, except for the Prabhendra, the honored guest, who was also in the pig pen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah yeah. Uh, I'm as kind far of. As lady goes. Are we done with Lady? Do we want to keep going on Narayan and the Daughter of Night? I'm missing her points of view. Is all I'd say. You're missing ladies? Uh-huh. 
Yeah, yeah. right. Like that that whole that whole can of worms that I just opened about her being the youngest <laughs> sister, or maybe not being the youngest sister. Wouldn't have been a can of worms if we got that from her point of view. Well, maybe, but she's so dishonest in her annals. Even she's oh, true. That's she's true. clearly is. painting herself. Yeah. She she is she's telling a deliberate story in her annals. That's right. I and it is a story are. meant to paint lady in the best light possible and to I wonder use any potential readers of dangerous notions about lady so she of course would have lied you know I wonder what Croker thinks of her book I would love to know what Croker thinks of her book I would too Mm -hmm. now that you mentioned it yeah Mm. um Okay, wait. So, speaking of books. Speaking of books. Speaking of books. At the end of this book, our both of our analysts are frozen in stasis below the plane. Well, let's see. One Eye is still out. Mm-hmm. Could we get a book of One Eye? No. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> no. Are you we... asking who I think the next the next uh, analyst is going to be? I'm not asking it. I'm I'm just kind of uh, you know, building clear, a lead into it? it. It's sleepy. Yeah, it, 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 Mergen's uh, protege, if you want to call yeah. him that. Heard that. The next the next book is Her. sleepy. <laughs> As one of the very few active principal black company members at the end of this book. And and eh, uh, okay, I'll say, I'll eh. say, um, a lot of people are not big fans of Sleepy being an analyst. Personally, I like Sleepy's, you know, Sleepy's perspective on the Black Company because Sleepy is the first uh, native of the South, whose uh, you know whose narration we're gonna get. It, it brings in a unique perspective on Taglios and, and you know, the, the Shadowlands and the plane and everything. Because everybody else, every single other analyst, Croker, Mergen, Lady, uh, and, I mean, Philodendron Case, but obviously he didn't go south. But all of them were from the north. And so, Sleepy, Sleepy brings a, a new, new set of skills to the table as an analyst. And, hmm. and, and that was going to be my next question is like, just based on what we know about sleepy in this book, how do you feel about that? Knowing that's where we're going. I mean, I'm, I was hoping that we'd get a lot of, uh, the Mergen slash Croker esque uh, cynicism and sarcasm, but <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Now that we know that, um, dude, Sleepy isn't a dude. You know, Sleepy is not a dude. But Sleepy is a member of the Black Company. Yeah, and has been fitting in with the dudes for years now. So, I don't really know what to expect. Yeah, I mean, all we really know of Sleepy from from this part of the book is you know an enthusiastic young person who who may have a little bit of trauma in her past right 
That's where I was going next. Yeah. Uh, there's a point in an episode or two ago where, where Drew, you brought up, you know, uh, about Sleepy's dark jokes, or at least what I thought were just jokes about his uncle, which now is her uncle. Uh, takes a very dark turn now that I look uncles. at it. Uncles. Multiple uncles. <laughs> oh, oh no, I didn't know that. Yeah, I believe I believe there's a line where Mergen says uh, that they up. threw one of Sleepy's uncles off the wall of Dejigore into the water. <laughs> ah, yeah, I mean... Sleepy is somebody who I was, really, I was I was pretty invested in, honestly, for how little I knew her. It's going to be weird for me to get used to yeah. saying her. Uh, yeah. Channel that House of Sticks energy, and, Rob. And, and, and somewhere along the way, she ran afoul of Soulcatcher, and I want to know what the hell happened there. But Yeah. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm looking forward to it. I'm not going, I'm not dreading it going to the next book. I, I, I do like Morgan. I'm going to kind of miss him a little bit, I think. Okay. But I don't know. Yeah, I was kind of hoping for another Croker book, but okay. Nah, I'm over those. Well, Especially not now at this point in his life. Oh my god, that would be a drag. <laughs> kind <laughs> of. <laughs> Mergen, the ice grew two inches today. You know? <laughs> yeah. And everybody another was layer too much. of the frozen web descended <laughs> up upon ladies' eyes. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. No, I but, mean, uh, yeah. No. Uh, do you guys have any more character points? I just have one about one eye. I was, I was digging a lot of the one eye that we got <clears throat> in this segment, or at least the one eye that we saw in this segment, particularly his burgeoning sort of relationship with Mother Gota. I, it was something I'd hoped for as soon as he met her, and and he laughed about how wonderful she was, and he passed it off shortly after that as a prank of some sort on Goblin of all people, of course, Goblin. But I'm glad that didn't turn out to be the case. The way that they were discovered together after the earthquake uh, that had yes. damaged the, the, the dwelling they were in, that was funny as hell. And we hear part of One-Eye's will, learning that most of his worldly possessions go to Goblin, except for the few that go to Kigota. That was, that was kind of heartwarming to hear. I wasn't, expe- I wasn't expecting heartwarming from One-Eye. And then, after I was laughing about this, I realized, I remembered another scene, much earlier, I think, than these two, when Mergen comes across Mother Gota, and he notes that she is cooking more food than they could possibly eat. And now I'm suspicious. How much extra was that much food? Did it happen to be precisely one grouchy-ass, rude little of a wizard too much food? You know? (laughs) Oh, well, mostly it was for Uncle Doge. Was it for Uncle Doge? Oh yeah, she was she was definitely bringing food out to him while he was like hiding out in the ruins of Kiaulun. Hmm. I thought this might have been another breadcrumb on the whole mother go to and and one eye thing. Like he's like, hmm, this is like suspiciously one fourth too much food there. What's going on? <laughs> Just enough to to feed a five foot nothing little black wizard with one eye. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I thought maybe that was another uh, breadcrumb there, but yeah, that's the end of my yeah, character yeah. discussions. Digging one eye. Hmm. Kind of rooting for him, even though I wasn't expecting to. Okay. Well, I have a, a few miscellaneous points. <clears throat> Same. Uh, just a couple of lines I highlighted. Uh, one hmm. in, uh, you know, in the spirit of a book we covered uh, just a couple of months ago. This is in uh, chapter sixty when Mergen is receiving the letter from Bando Trang and 
she takes the letter and uh and Bond says, you know, says I received it from a a, a what what did he call it? A stone soldier, you know, with the scar that makes his left eyelid droop. She says, I remember him. She turned my letter over again. Do it, child. I'm scared. Fear is the mind killer. Nice Dune call out. Sounds familiar. <laughs> hold on, hold on. <clears throat> Fear is the mind killer. Was that specifically the Dune call out? Oh, of course it is. <laughs> Am I forgetting that line in Dune? That doesn't ring any Dune bells for me. It's like the first freaking line of the book, <laughs> man. What? Is it? <laughs> How are you not? What are you? Are you kidding me? How do you not remember this in Dune? I, 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 should I bring up the amount of that I smoke? We'll probably censor this later, but I don't remember that particular line. Oh, we are not that. censoring this. You have to own up to that. Interesting, because... I mean, have I, you seen the Dune the trailer? <laughs> I thought to myself, I was like, damn, that sounds awfully close to a particular line that I wrote as a big scene-punching line uh, six months ago. Damn. Yeah. And I hadn't even read Dune at that point. That's in, a, oh. that's in a Dune book? Why didn't I bring this up during Dune? Huh. Okay. No. Uh, like the very so mind first... blown right now. <laughs> Drew's, <laughs> Drew's lost it. You're, you're, I broke Drew. You you did. Like with the whole thing. <laughs> and you are literally articulate. Or inarticulate. It's like the opening scene of the book. <laughs> with the Gom Jabbar. You're lost for words, dude. The, the identifying line of Dune. I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Ooh. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. How do you forget that? <laughs> oh, man. I'm going to sit here in sheepish silence. <laughs> Even if you okay, never read well, it, but you watched the Dune trailer, it's like okay, the whole uh, trailer. Yeah, yeah. Question, I was going to say, this sounds like something I heard in the trailer, but it's going to make me sound really... Uh, oh, man. Oh, man. Okay, but uh, I, I do have a few, uh, you know, a few more things I uh, highlighted. <laughs> I whispered in the radish's ear. Water sleeps. Oh, okay. Yes. I wasn't sure if I wanted to bring this one up. Yeah, what the hell? But it's a it's a saying. It's a it, yeah. uh God, She did not go? catch that, but did not need to to become more frightened. It is a saying of my people. Yes. Even water sleeps, but enemy never rests. It is a promise from Mergen. And, and it, it is perfect for the way this book ends. Of course it's perfect because, you know, it was written this way. The enemy is sleeping. The enemy is interred beneath the plain in the caverns of ice. Water sleeps. Ice. Water sleeping. But mm -hmm. enemy never rests. <laughs> it, it is a very, very nice touch. Yeah, and a great setup for the next book. Yeah, water sleeps. Interesting. Interesting. 
How about this one? Uh, when Cleet is talking with Mergen while they're, you know, uh, testing their artillery bamboo poles. He's uh, targeting the walls of Overlook. He says, Hagop, see the silver character that looks like the rune for fate? Mm. He pointed at Overlook. There were thousands of characters on the wall. I did not understand which one he meant. Neither did Hagop. Tallest line of characters, middle of the target. Looks like a flagpole trailing two pennons to the right, next to something like a three-tined pitchfork. Recognize those? Uh, the first one sounds like the letter F. It does. Three times in the pitchfork, though. W. Oh. oh. Obviously, I'm still thinking of the of the. Uh, There's the just straight-up English letters on the wall of Overlook. Okay. <laughs> I was thinking of a pole for some reason in the in the second letter. Yeah, like, okay, I, good call. I love it when you get fantasy books where where it, it goes all in on like, yeah, no, this is very explicitly not English, and then they work in English as this like foreign or or at least uh, you know. The... I used to play around with this when I was a, a really amateur uh, fantasy writer way back in the day. Not to say that I'm not still, but when I was like 13, I I screwed around with a lot of this. Keep doing it. I love it. This is yep. one of my favorite trips. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Big, big fan. Um, let, Jared, any uh, miscellaneous points before I go on with some of mine? Nope. Hmm. Okay, I have one small aesthetic point to, to start off mine with. And this is, again, this is really stupid. I have a lot of these really stupid ones. Uh, this week, it's the phrase, little shit. I mean, I love that <laughs> phrase. I've been using it on occasion <laughs> myself for most of my life. I love it. But I have to say, I must have heard the words little shit in this book at least 15 or 20 times. I really like that curse. So it kind of loses its punch after the first dozen uses. Now that I said that, you're going to pay attention to it. And I just ruined it for you. Ha ha. But, oh, yeah. Not going to ruin anything. I don't think it loses any punch. I think it's a great <laughs> After insult. you hear it 30 times? It's like, okay. It's like every other chapter you hear little shit. Sometimes it's twice in the same scene. Well, like, hmm, especially using because there, a lot of the time, it's endearing. It's yeah, okay, Mergen okay, calling okay. One-Eye a little shit. You know? It's brotherly. Yeah, yeah it is. It's sure. Brotherhood. Sure, sure. So. Like, it, it loses a little bit of its weight, though, when I hear it twice in the same scene. Hmm. Okay. I'm pretty sure it was well, at least one point twice in the same speaking scene. Speaking of One-Eye, mm-hmm. I have another quote. Okay. Uh, Croker and Mergen talking. And he says, I have the same dreams all the time. I'm almost comfortable with them now. Maybe that's the point. Be careful. Like One Eye says, careful is my middle name. <laughs> Stupid is One Eye's middle name. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I that, love it. That's very, see, that's very brotherly. I love that one right there, too. Yeah, yeah. And, okay. and... Uh, just when they're going on up the hill and when they're all, you know, like touching the, the head of the spear and Red Rudy comes up and he says, you want, we should kiss that thing too. If you think it'll help, I'll give it a head job if that's what it takes to get me through the next three or four nights. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Very, very militaristic. Very, very, uh, 
this. Mm. It's just, the kind of humor that I just... It always gets me. I will be 95 years old and I will still <laughs> laugh at something like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it reminds me... as much me, as I did when I was... It reminds me of Dreams of Steel when Croker finally gets back to the, you know, the stop. company outside of Dejigari. He's like, stop, stop making out with that thing. thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, it, and it's hilarious because it's the Lance of Passion. It's the Lance of Passion. It is. It's such a euphemism. It's so obvious, but it's so... Cook is so unabashed about it. He's he's, just, yeah, he's take it. He's making it. layers to dick jokes. He's unapologetic <laughs> about it. That's that's how you have to do it. You can't just be coy oh. with it. It has to be in your face, for lack of a better word. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. no! All right. Hmm. Okay. Okay. All right. Check this out. I got I got another one from from EC. I believe this is EC. Uh, the captain and the lieutenant want you should know that prisoner's smoke is perished. Perished? Perished like in dead. As a stone, Ochiba managed. Oh, it was Ochiba, that's right. I recalled some pretty frisky stones met long before these stiffnecks <laughs> yeah. joined the gang. I did mention them. <laughs> There's a hell of a callback to our Meniers. Yeah. Meniers? Meniers? Yeah. How did you pronounce yeah. it? Meniers? Yeah. That's how I pronounce it. I don't know. <laughs> Many years. Many yeah. years. Yeah. I just See, love that little callback. I was like, okay, cool. I totally forgot about those little guys. Uh, I also think there's uh, one thing to note here. You've complained on a couple episodes about how easily guys pick up language. Uh, but here we have proof of characters who are still struggling with languages. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't say that they were picking it up. Flawlessly, I just meant it. It just seemed yeah. a little too easy, but yeah, they're still struggling. Clearly, yeah, yeah. Um, but but yes, I I did like that call back to the plane of fear. Um, <laughs> it just makes me think of those of those scenes on on the uh, what are they? The wind whales, those giant yep. floating surfaces, and the meniers just screwing with the soldiers and getting chucked off, and then suddenly showing back up. You know, just oh, you know, and actually, some of the lighthearted moments that we enjoyed from the books of the north. Maybe this is a good time to bring this up. The, comparing the tone of the Books of the South and the Books of Glittering Stone to the tone of the Books of the North, there's something much more whimsical and fantastical about the Books of the North. Agreed. The Books of the South, like, basically since Shadow Games, it's still very much, you know, fantasy. But it's a much more... Um, grounded feeling fantasy. Whereas in the books of the North, there was always this element of like, any random thing can just pop up and you have to go with it. Flying carpets? Oh yeah, sure. Talking <laughs> stone pillars? Yeah, definitely. Flying manta rays that shoot lightning? Oh, definitely. You know, like that's, of course that's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, a, 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 a monster down, like, called Toad Killer Dog. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Never get over tree. that. It still, that one still gets me. I don't. I just. I'm so. Oh boy. The, the books of the South and the books of Glittering Stone, in a lot of ways, feel more like the deliberate epic fantasies that we've gotten post Wheel of Time. Whereas the books in the North feel a lot more whimsical. I agree. Yep. Okay. Yeah. 
And so it's nice when we get these callbacks because it would be really easy for Glenn Cook to just kind of draw this hard delineation, saw off the story between them and just never call back. But in these two books especially, you know, we have Otto and Hagop going all the way back north and talking with the Leggetts in the Tower of Charm and and bringing back you know, seed potatoes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, turnips. And, yes, yeah. Uh, and, and we have Mergen, you know, thinking about, you know, the plane of fear. Like, and so it's nice when you get that little, little reference, that, that nod to what came before that set up this much more expansive mythological story versus the more traditional fantasy set up in uh in the books of the north oh you know big bad evil guy you know dark lord we got to take him down blah 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 the books of the south very different that's that's a very good point to make there is something to be said about the contrast that that offers because i like i said i just admitted that i totally forgot about a lot of that Especially yeah. with the with the Meneers. And so it does kind of give me more context to, to actually fully be able to appreciate in some small way exactly how these books have changed. It's important to note that it doesn't make me appreciate one over the other. Like, I still appreciate parts of both of them. Right. Yeah. I still prefer these. I do prefer... Shadow Games, Dreams of Steel, Bleak, even Bleak Seasons, and now especially She is the Darkness. <laughs> I do. I'm finding myself more invested in them and yeah, finding it easier to follow along because of its lack of whimsical nature, perhaps. Yeah, honestly, I think the books of the South and the books of Glittering Stone are overall much stronger than the books of the North. That is apparently a minority opinion among Black Company fans. Uh, most people I've seen talking about the series on the forums vastly prefer the first three books. And I can sort of understand where they're coming from, uh, especially because those are, you know, those make up the bulk of the croaker. You know, we've only gotten one croaker book since we've gone south, right? And for somebody who maybe really doesn't like Mergen or Lady or, or Sleepy, I can understand why they'd be like, no, I don't. I don't like this. But I think that's being a little short-sighted, personally, because the narrative is much more uh, complex, much more layered in the South. It's it, it provides more to dig into and appreciate as an analytical reader. And, uh, and sure, there isn't that whimsical nature, that just, like, totally bonkers, plane of fear aspect to it. The plane in the south is very different from the plane that we dealt with in the north. <laughs> so, right. you know, but but I do I do prefer what's going on in in this narrative in the second half of the series. <laughs> um, cool. But uh, yeah, shall we head into our favorite scenes? I have one prediction, perhaps. And this is, uh, sorry, I'll, oh, I'll predict oh, one right. of your favorite scenes. But I have one prediction before that. <laughs> okay. So, Morgan is just too hopeful <clears throat> in, reg in regards to Sarah and his child. Um, it's going far too well. He is looking forward to it far too much. This is the Black Company. <laughs> Sarah and, and his child, they're going to die before he can see them. 
it just has to happen, I think. This is the black company. That would be Sorry. gut-wrenching, but it wouldn't surprise me. Yep. Oh, that's exactly what I, that's exactly why it has to happen. I think. Because mm-hmm. he can't catch a break. He will not catch a break. I still hope that he will start his turnip and, and potato farm. I would love <laughs> to see that ending. But all right, all right. I can't see him... He, he just he returns to it mentally too many times and he finds it as too great a source of comfort to get him through what he's going through I think that's going to be taken away from him fair enough okay and now I'm going to ruin one of Drew's favorite scenes because I just, there's no way <laughs> there's no I read this scene and I looked at it and I went this is a scene that was written 20-25 years in the past Specifically for Drew McCaffrey. This is his scene right here. All right, you ready? Okay. Chapter 93. Mergen, who decides to up and read from the book of Croker. Mergen deciding, f*** it, let's do this. You know what the situation calls for? We need some book of Croker. How's my aim? Mm. (laughs) I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. (laughs) Okay, all right. All right. Speaking of favorite scenes, I'm ready to go into them now. Okay. Let's hear it. Uh, yeah, Rob, do you want to lead it off? Okay. So I'll start with my third favorite. Soulcatcher spanking that creepy little kid. <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. My <laughs> Yanks down her drawers and just wails away. <laughs> She's like, knock it off. <laughs> yep. 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 I enjoyed it. Not oh. that we like Soulcatcher. Uh, not, I, that I, not that I condone child violence. I do, <laughs> however, find it hilarious. <laughs> I, I can't remember. Oh, for you. oh, no, that's a spoiler. Never mind. Was there a oh. specific scene in the Wheel of Time? Did you have that as one of your yes, favorites? Yes, I was since... just about to bring up Cat Swain. Sorry, okay. I was going to I'll write down that name to censor later. Sorry, future Pat. Oh. Okay, okay. Jared, your third favorite scene. You kind of <clears throat> already stole it earlier in. Oh, I'm stealing everyone. Oh wait, no. In sorry. the session, else stole it. but <gasps> the very last one, I should have seen it coming. I should have known. Ooh. You know, yep. last page of the book. <clears throat> Got you. Yeah. Got you. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Well, Rob, sorry. I'm I'm gonna break your heart. Uh oh. That was not one of my top three. Oh. Although, what? I will tell you, it was one of three scenes that I was agonizing over whether to make my third favorite or not. And it Damn. did not make the cut. It, I, it, I'm I shocked. I love that scene. I love every time Mergen steps up and reads, you know, uh, an old passage from the annals. I, I do love it. I that had such a brotherly it. tradition to it. And I was yes. just like, this is what Drew likes. Oh, yeah. It, it is. It is what I Especially like. Especially having read some of your own work. Yeah. But my third favorite like scene, anyone, I'm going to rewind okay. a little bit. This is at the beginning of chapter 14. Oh, and this wow. is purely for the, the prose, for the description. Glenn Cook painting a scene, and I love it. We sighted Lake Tanji an hour before night fell. The sudden view was so stunning, I stopped, dead in my tracks. The lake was miles across and cold gray. It dwindled away to my right, the direction our road ran. 
To our left, the land was very rugged. Arms of increasingly substantial hills ran down to the water. The Don Depresse itself seemed to rise directly from the far shore, all grays in the evening light, dark down low and lighter at the peaks, where snow fields sparkled. A playful god had scrawled a thin cloud line across the panorama, halfway up the mountains, so that the peaks rode a magic carpet. Gray, gray, gray. Right then, the whole world seemed gray. Boom. That's some, that's some writing, man. That is some writing. <laughs> that's some writing, man. He has a way Here's of a striking a chord. Yeah. Just excellent. Excellent scene painting. So that's my I third feel favorite. that one resonate. That's my third okay. favorite. All right. My second favorite scene. <clears throat> the plane seemed to shimmer and wobble around us. Lady strode up, balanced perfect, to all appearances completely unperturbed. But she kicked old Weezer so hard he flipped over. You idiot. You may have just killed us all. She slammed her hands onto her hips, studied the injured pillar. She didn't look like a woman who was convinced that she was about to die. Suddenly, she turned and shouted, Get those animals under control! Whatever you do, don't let them run out of the circle. A bullock became supper because he was determined to <laughs> run for it. People took ladies' orders, literally. The plane heaved one more time. Then, a stillness gathered. For several seconds, there were no sounds and nothing moved. Look, somebody said, murdering the silence. Part of the distant fortress appeared to be sliding down. In time, a remote rumble reached us long after a cloud obscured the place. Weezer coughed. Shit, did I do that? And then the chapter ends. <laughs> Love it. Gold. Oh, I cracked up laughing in the middle of welding when that line came. I had to reach up to my neck, press the iPod button, and pause it because I was laughing so hard. I was like, that was great. That was brilliant. I love this. More of this. Yeah. Sometimes you just, uh... You just gotta go with that... That powerful voice that Glenn Cook weaves in and, and, and just, just makes you chuckle. Not even, not even, like, laugh uproariously or, or, you know, like... It's it's not over the top humor, but sometimes he just he just makes it good and chuckle. <laughs> I'll tell you why it tickled me the way it did. I think I think I just figured it out because of my somewhat unique experience, or at least minority experience, of having read this for the first time on audiobook. Because halfway through that last sentence, I was when Weezer coughed and he started to say "sh." My what was going through my head was, "Oh my god, make this the last sentence! Oh my god, make this the last sentence! Oh my god, do it!" And then it, there was the pause. And then next chapter started. And I was like, yes! <laughs> but if I was reading it, the physical, I would have seen that coming in my peripherals. I would have seen that that was the end of the page. Did they not? So it wouldn't have struck me in the same way as the audiobook did when there was that pause at the end. And then chapter whatever came next. Do they that not the announce the chapter numbers? They do. I just forget what chapter it was. Mm, okay. <laughs> Okay. Jared. Second favorite. Jared. Yeah, so this is the one where I feel like 
if you're not on the Mergen bandwagon at this point, after this scene, you kind of have to be. And it's the sad one when he's going back and realizing that Sara isn't actually gone. Ooh. I'm not going to go through and read the whole thing, but I actually really like the way it starts where he says, I guess you don't quite know yourself ever. And then he jumps into this scene. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, see, this probably would have made my top three if I had remembered that we had read the first half of this. For some reason, all three of my favorite I've scenes reminded came out in the second you. half. I've reminded you in <laughs> in the chat before we did this episode. I said I didn't I I didn't know that's what you were saying. You just said everybody get your favorite scenes ready. No, right? and then I said, and it can be from the whole book, not just the part we read this week. <laughs> how was that the how was that the one line that I skipped over? Oh my god. Alright. There there's a yeah. lot of like dark stuff in these, but this is one of the saddest, I feel oh, like. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's the revelation of, of, of the con with Blade might have been an honorable mention for me. Mm. Well, my second favorite, surprisingly. Surprisingly, I'm breaking my theme. What? It's not my favorite scene in the book this time. The closing lines of She's the Darkness. In the night, when the wind no longer winds through a fortress that was there before the plane that was there before the first free company marched, stone whispers, stone sprouts. Stone grows. Stone buds and stone flowers. A thousand pillars rise where no pillar has stood before. Moonlight sweeps the plain, setting a glitter the characters taking form, remembering a few of the fallen. It is immortality of a sort. Mm. You can just write a whole collection of, of, of flash fiction with these. With these. I like how he repeats some of these things a lot throughout the book. Thank you. Oh, especially oh. in this one. Especially in She is the Darkness. Oh. Stone is silence. Silence is broken. You know, like, oh. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's the, 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 yeah. the pure literary genius of some of the things... Some of the motifs, the repeated motifs in the books of the South and the books of Glittering Stone. He's been doing this. I've been mentioning scenes just like this for four books now. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. It is. It really is. Mm. Okay. Okay. All right. My all right. favorite scene. My very favorite scene. <clears throat> Chapter 87. The demonstration from what I'm calling the engineer boys. <laughs> <clears throat> Them fireballs. Yes. Damn. And the super fast ones. I have the quote here. It was not my imagination this time. Catcher's hideout had to be more than 10 miles away. It did not take the fireballs 10 seconds to get there. Maybe not five. I was too shaken to be a good judge of time's passage. Fire and smoke and shit flew half a mile high. Now the whole gang went bug fuck. Every one of them, maybe two, put fireballs into the air in streams of four and five. The distant woods began to boil. 
Even from so far away, I could make out gigantic trees being hurled a thousand feet into the air. I recall some trees there being twice as thick as I was tall. They twisted through the sky like scythes of fire. A firestorm took life below. It hurled flames and smoke heavenward like an angry volcano. It was a day when a lot of crows died. I'm sure it was a day when Soulcatcher found not one reason to laugh. So Holy great. Solid. <laughs> Holy. Oh my god, Mergen. Why don't we have more of this? <laughs> you, the. In how many battles did we go through? Like he was having Sunday ice cream, and then suddenly <laughs> this. Oh boy. Oh, it, I loved it. I, it. I mean, obviously, it's my favorite scene, but I just. I'm going to reiterate. That was incredible. That was the other uh, of the three scenes that I was considering for my third favorite. Nice. I love okay. that one. It's love so that one. It reminds me of that of a moment in The White Rose with Darling. <clears throat> Looking around and seeing if anybody was to dare challenge that this was the day of The White Rose. Oh, uh, yeah. Something along those lines. That's right. That's really right. Was, yeah. Nice. <coughs> Jared. All right, Jared. <laughs> uh, you guys will know know it just by this one <clears throat> line. Uh, nowhere in the annals was there a con to match this con. Ah! Yeah, yeah, that's the sound of Drew dying inside. Yep, it is. <laughs> so good. Yep, my favorite scene. The cat, not the lead. His staff were headed for Blades Division. Something was up. I streaked that way. Skip ahead a little ways. Blade and Croker met midway between. They exchanged a few words. Silly me, I expected the old man to settle the feud he had been prosecuting so vigorously for so long. Instead, he threw his arms around Blade and started laughing. It had been a long time for the captain. His laughter had a definite mad edge. They started jumping up and down, holding on to one another. The, yep. the image of this, in the middle of like the yep. biggest battlefield, just like hugging it out like bros and jumping <laughs> up and down and laughing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it also, at least amazing moment. At least I did not see it coming at all. Nope. I, I no. did I admitted it at the time and I will admit it again and I will admit it going forward. That <laughs> one took me completely by surprise. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's also my favorite scene. Just the I think that's that's there's only mm, I'd have to think about it, but it's this is... the one that I remember where I actually physically got up. <laughs> yep, okay. You know. Hey, that, that that's something I've been going on about. It's one of my my twelfth grade uh, creative writing teacher. Uh, one of the one of the only things that I will say I learned from that guy because I really don't like him. But something <laughs> he did say stuck with me, and he did say when you the mark of a great writer of a, of a perfect writer is somebody who can literally draw that physical response from a reader. Mm -hmm. Whether you want to throw the book at the wall, whether you stop and you stand up, or whether you start laughing, but if you can evoke that physical reaction from somebody whose eyes are flicking across a page and they're lost in your world you know you've done your job as a writer yeah i think this is just testament to that being true 
Yeah, because because it's it's just the height of audacity. <laughs> like the the whole gambit, the whole four year long con. Ah, <laughs> uh, and and I think what makes it the best is that Blade isn't even a brother. Blade right. is not a member of the Black Company. Mm-hmm. Like Croker's well, got this. Now, perhaps he doesn't. No, really, no, but he's not because he we see doesn't. even after this happens, Croker doesn't trust him. After the whole like showdown at Overlook, Croker has Blade and Willow Swan in prison when Mergen's going back, oh, yeah. and Lady convinced Croker to let them go. Croker doesn't trust anybody outside of the Black oh, Company for Croker. but for this one thing, this one time. He trusted Blade. Only, only the biggest con that they've ever pulled. <laughs> yeah. is arguably the, the most that. fighting in one yeah. hand. But don't trust the guy. It's so good. It's so good. Maybe oh. it says a lot about Croker. It does. And Part it, of the it why does. I'm glad we're not getting any more books of Croker. To hell with everybody that that's a big Croker fanboy <laughs> and wants more Croker. I like these books in the South. Glittering <laughs> Stone. Yeah, so... Uh, you know, I I, I think uh, it, it also says something about how much of an impact that scene makes. That that was my favorite scene of the book, not the glittering stone book ending passage. The way it's been for the last three books. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although that's I'm still great. It oh, it's still so good. Yeah. And and we'll we'll revisit that in the future. Alright. Shall we but, get into uh, the final draft? Before we get into the final draft, I wanna take take your, your pulses. We're we're now eight books into the Black Company, to the ten book main series. And it's been a, a bit of a rocky ride, I feel like I can say, for you guys. Yes. Yeah, that's a diplomatic way to put it. I appreciate it though, yeah. How are we feeling? How are we feeling right now? Listen, I've been waiting, actually, to, to get to the end of the episode to say this, because uh, earlier, Drew, you had said that She is the Darkness was your second least favorite, did you say? Yeah, yeah. Listen, She is the Darkness, in my opinion, is the best one we've read. Ooh, okay. All right. I mean, I, I made this pretty clear, I hope, last episode, and, and maybe perhaps a little more in this episode, but just the, the momentum I had going through this one that I did not have in the other two kind of just... That's what decides it for me. I, I knocked this one out in like two days. So. Mm, okay. Nice. On that alone. See, I'd like and to hear that. Some of my favorite moments. <laughs> I would say where I was doubting some of the direction in Shadow Games, mm. uh, Dreams of Steel and Seize the Darkness have brought me fully back into the fold. Oh my god, Dreams of Steel, just ladies opening and closing the pages are some of the greatest writing I have ever, ever, ever read. Yeah, honestly, it's like, if anything, it was kind of like, alright, well, I'm going to open up the next one, I'll, I'll, I'll do this. And then you read the first page, and it's like, okay. <laughs> well, you convinced me. Appetite Very well. Ready. We are ready to go. But yeah, I can understand that because Shadow Games is a very transitory book. Yes. You know, he has to 
cover a lot of ground, uh, not only geographically, but narratively, to tie together the books of the North and the books of the South in that one very short book. And so he doesn't have a whole lot of space to set up and and build a foundation for what we're going to get to in Glittering Stone. But it's really Dreams of Steel that that kicks things off. Yeah. Um, Dreams of Steel is my second favorite so far as well. Like, these last two yeah, have been absolutely phenomenal. Nice. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I, to hear I, it. I still don't think... Well, <clears throat> at least not but yet. Nothing has uh, beaten Shadows Linger for me. Yeah, I knew, I knew Jared liked Shadows yep. Linger. He really liked that. Hey. Uh, I, I can't like I can't put my finger on what exactly about it. Just those those mysterious figures were very 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 weird. Hey, Jared, this murder's happening, and we don't know why. There was a big mystery there. I, I mean, granted, I like the dark slow burn. You know, mm-hmm. that's yeah. it's hard to say beyond that. Well, I I agree with you. Shadows Linger is my second favorite book in the series, mm-hmm. so. Uh, and, and as I have said many times, Soldiers Live, the 10th book, is my favorite. Um, it's a good sign. But, you know, we, we still have, you know, Water Sleeps to get through before we get there. Uh, and Water Sleeps, yeah, like I said, I, I do like that book quite a lot. Cool. Um, cool. yeah, there, there's some, there, there's some stuff in Water Sleeps. Don't worry. <laughs> it's interesting, stuff. like... One thing I will say is I really don't have a good handle on what to expect. Yes. Given how we're left, yes. it's like, what What are you supposed to expect to happen? It'll be, it'll be Sleepy. You know, I think, I mean, Sleepy's going to take up the first half of this book with the past. Or at least a significant portion of this book with the past and leading up to her confrontation with Soulcatcher and perhaps her, her dreaming or her catatonic state afterwards or comatose state afterwards. Mm-hmm. That's what I would predict. Okay. <laughs> Drew, that look was golden. Thank you. <laughs> Drew's like, I have to look away from the camera. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Can I, can I... All right, before we go into the final draft, I'm going to read you the first paragraph of Water Sleeps. Ooh. All right. Bit of an hors d'oeuvre. Okay. Fair. Fair. Chapter one. In those days, the Black Company did not exist. This I know because there were laws and decrees that told me so. But I did not feel entirely insubstantial. What? (laughs) Huh? (laughs) <laughs> okay. Where the f- and now and now you're gonna have to read Stormfront. Now, now I can't <laughs> sleep tonight. Great. Yeah, Jared could go ahead and read Water Sleeps, but Rob, you have to read the first Dresden Files book next. <laughs> huh? All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Okay, that's yeah, intriguing. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, let's head on into the final draft then, shall we? Mm-hmm. Let's do it. All right. All right. Wow, this is a bit of a stronger one, must be, than I was 
prepared for. Now, I'll start us <laughs> off here. I have another brew from my, well, the brewery that I consider my favorite, you know, widely tasted as I clearly am not. <laughs> this is another brew from Collective Arts. Nice. I have brought this brew on before. I think I've only brought it on once. I may have brought it on twice. I know I brought it on for the Wheel of Time episode that would have been the Shadow Rising Part 2 for the Roideon Dream Sequence. Ooh. This here is a nod and a send-off, I suppose, to our wizard extraordinaire, Smoke, who was giving us our literal bird's-eye view mm. of everything. This here is a double dry hop IPA, 6.1%, nice and bitter. Uh, I mean, <laughs> this is collective arts. I don't need to explain why I like these guys. It goes down nice and easy. It's uh, not cheap. It's actually kind of expensive, but you only drink one or two at a time. No big deal. This here is a brew called Life in the Clouds. Ooh. I don't know it's going to be backwards. Of course, it's going to be backwards. And oh, that's but right. Yes. That's right. You well, you right did have that for uh, for Redian. Yes, I yeah. did. Life in nice. the Clouds. I like it. Thank you. I also like would have worked for your theory somewhere, wouldn't it? Mm. Oh, well. <laughs> Ooh, probably. All right, Jared, what are you drinking? <laughs> I got one from Phoenix Beer Company. It's Arizona Gold. So Arizona just a golden gold nail? Yes. And honestly, <laughs> I only got it because of the description where it says... Or the start of the description where it says, Arizona has two seasons, summertime and almost summertime. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That reminds me of an old Canadian joke. I, Something I, that's close to the opposite of that. <laughs> I, I will publicly announce that I hate Jared right now as I look out the window to <laughs> just mountains of snow pouring down from the sky in ah, Colorado. Colorado. <laughs> that was us last week. So the Canadian joke, uh, joke that I was referring to was the four seasons of Canada, which is winter, fall, or yeah, sorry, winter, Shit, how did it go? Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right, I got it, I got it, I got it. Fall, winter, <laughs> spring, and construction. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's the same way in, uh, in Colorado. It took me, like, four tries to, to, to kickstart that engine in my, in my ring, and yeah. I did it, but I got it. I got it in the end. Um, I just realized also while, while Jared was talking there, the perfect book that Life in the Clouds would have been suited for. <laughs> House of Sticks. House of Sticks. <laughs> how did I not freaking think to literally bring on this beer life in the clouds for house of sticks i apologize to derek coonskin wherever he may be <laughs> well this is the second time that uh house of sticks has come up in this episode since you you've been struggling with the whole sleepy uh gender pronouns thing and oh. uh yeah and we, we didn't bring up. I did. I mentioned it. At the time. Did you? Yeah. Oh, damn it, dude. I must have. <laughs> damn. But. Uh, I must have been sipping at that moment. Yeah. So uh, just a shout out there for anybody listening to this episode. If you're into hard science fiction, check out The House of Sticks by Derek Koonskin. Uh, it's, it's a fantastic book. We, we had a chance to review it earlier this year and both Rob and I really enjoyed it. Uh, mm. Yeah. Great stuff. Yeah. But. More importantly, well, I don't know if it's more important, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> more uh, pertaining to this episode. More relevant. 
What Drew McCaffrey is drinking tonight, very, very important stuff here. Uh, you know, world-shaking importance. Um, causing earthquakes on the glittering plane. Somebody stopped freaking presses and alert the elder. You know, er- earthquakes while, while the black company is making their expedition onto the plane. Um, this is a Russian Imperial Stout aged in bourbon barrels from Bell's Brewing Company in Comstock, Michigan. Bell's is... Man, uh, I, I almost feel like I shouldn't even introduce them, but uh, in case you're not into craft beer, Bell's is one of the biggest craft brewers in the nation. Uh, you know, when you when you talk about breweries like Sam Adams, New Belgium, Sierra Nevada, you have to mention Bell's in the same breath. These guys were craft beer pioneers in the 2000s, and they have become an absolute powerhouse nationwide, huge distribution footprint. You can find their beer basically everywhere in the continental United States now. And you can find uh, the non-barrel-aged version of this beer, again, pretty much everywhere. But this, you can only find in Michigan. And I have to give a shout-out to a listener of Inking Out Loud. Uh, Jamie Brinks sent me two bottles of this beer, and I am deeply indebted yeah. to him for uh, for digging into the old Michigan cellar there. Because this beer is Jamie awesome. Brinks. And I'll tell you, yeah. this beer was bottled on June 2nd, 2017. This this has uh, this has come a long way, and it is freaking delicious. I mean, we're talking a, a classic bourbon barrel stout. It is woody. You get a, a nice whiskey flavor to it, but you get a lot of dark fruit, almost a tobacco flavor from it. Just, just an expertly crafted bourbon barrel aged stout. And as I said, or as I implied earlier, this goes out to Croker's misguided <laughs> choice at the end of the book to go explore the plane. This beer is called Expedition. Oh, ooh. I like that. This is the bourbon barrel aged version of Bell's Expedition Stout. And, uh, yeah, if you can find Expedition in your local, you know, local bottle shop, liquor store, whatever, uh, I encourage you to pick it up. Uh, if you like dark beers, absolutely. If you don't like dark beers, maybe try it out. It's, it's very tasty. It's drinkable. And if you like that kind of dark fruit, think like dates, raisins, and like sweet malts, uh, you know, that's what's going on here. So, that sounds amazing. Yeah, it's quite good. And like and uh, yeah, I have I have two more bottles of it. I have another 2017, and I have a 2018 bottle thanks to Jamie. And uh, and I'm not complaining Shut about up. it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's the best kind of beer. So, free, isn't it? I think unless we have. Oh well. <laughs> uh, Unless we have any final thoughts on She's the Darkness. 
I'm just no? stoked. Okay. To go into, I think oh, that right, I'm not going into water sleeps. I'm going into the first Dresden book. <laughs> keep forgetting that. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, as Rob has mentioned, and as I mentioned earlier, this has been episode 101 of the Inking Out Loud podcast. And next up, we are going to be taking a little break from the Black Company. We're going to be covering a book recommended by one of our uh, Patreon supporters. And uh, that is, oh my gosh, I keep wanting to say Skin Game, but it's Stormfront. The first book of the Dresden Files is Stormfront. Not skin game. <laughs> uh, yeah, we will be covering Stormfront next week, uh, and we will have a special guest on for that one, so stay tuned for that. And if you want to recommend a book for us to read, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash inkingoutloud. Uh, like the person who recommended Stormfront, we do have a tier of supporters who can basically force us to read whatever book you want us to. Thankfully, <laughs> so far, we haven't had anybody totally abuse this. But, uh, uh, you know, you can you can not only recommend a book for the podcast, but get access to our monthly bonus content, like a newsletter and short fiction written by Robert myself, or uh, bonus episodes, tons of fun stuff. And that's at patreon.com slash inkingoutloud. As always, I am your host, Drew McCaffrey. With me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Yep. And even though Rob didn't want to go this far, I will I will go this far. Our standard bearer, Jared Livingston, thank you for joining us. Hell yes, of course. Yeah, you're the man, dude. <laughs> so, thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye, everyone. See you guys. <laughs>